You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question asks if I can analyze the Jeffrey Epstein case. So can I look at the mental health and personality factors and another question here is, was Jeffrey Epstein murdered? Just a reminder, I'm not diagnosing anybody in this video, only speculating about what could be happening in a situation like this. So this is a video I've been working on for some time. I had the outline probably about 90, 95% together. And then I saw that Netflix had this special on Epstein. So I watched that before making this video. And I'm glad I did because there was some information in there that I didn't know. So I was able to update the outline and make this video a little bit more comprehensive. As I'm going through the timeline for Jeffrey Epstein, when I use the term assault, I'm talking about sexual assault. Of course, that's what he did many, many times in his criminal career. So first I'll go through the timeline of the crimes, look at the mental health and personality factors, and then get to that question, was Epstein murdered? So starting with the timeline, Epstein was born in 1953 in Brooklyn, New York. At age 16, he graduated high school, having skipped two grades. He went to college, but left in 1974 without earning a degree. In that same year, he would start teaching math and physics at the Dalton School in Manhattan. This was a private school for the wealthy. He made a number of powerful contacts while at that school, and one of them helped him get his next job. He was fired in 1976 and went to work for the investment bank Bear Stearns. He was fired from that company in 1981 for violating rules, but he had already made important contacts in the field of finance and investment. He started his own consulting company in 1981 and served what he referred to as the hyper-rich. Now, moving to 1990, we see that he buys a mansion in Palm Beach, Florida. In 2002, we see that a 14-year-old female was taken to Epstein in his New York City mansion. He assaulted her several times over the course of a year. Moving to 2005, we see a 14-year-old female and her parents accuse Epstein of assaulting her in his Palm Beach mansion. It is believed by the time we see this 2005 report that he had offended against over 30 victims and perhaps had conducted hundreds of different assaults. So he was well into his criminal career by 2005. Now, looking at May to June 2006, Epstein and two assistants were charged with multiple counts of unlawful sex with a minor, but the grand jury only returned one indictment, one count of solicitation of prostitution. Then, moving to July to November 2006, we see an FBI investigation takes place. In 2007, Epstein's lawyer meets with a prosecutor named Acosta, and they negotiate a plea agreement. 
18 months in jail, and immunity for all of Epstein's co-conspirators. Under this arrangement, Epstein would plead guilty to solicitation of prostitution charges, and his victims would not be given an opportunity to testify. Epstein receives 18 months in jail and must register as a sex offender. Epstein was housed in a special section of the Palm Beach County Jail instead of going to state prison. While there serving a sentence, the door of his cell was not locked, he had access to a television, another room, and after just three and a half months, he was allowed to participate in work release. This program allowed him to be out of jail from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., six days a week. He would go to work at his foundation they just created before reporting to jail. After he was released, he would dissolve that foundation. In 2009, we see that Epstein is released after serving just 13 months in jail. Now, after being released, he was on probation, but evidently he was given permission to travel to other states and to the U.S. Virgin Islands. Now, from 2009 to 2017, we see that several lawsuits are filed by Epstein's victims. Over the next 10 years, he would settle several of these lawsuits. And one can only imagine that as part of settling these lawsuits, some of the victims were not allowed to communicate about what happened. So that would reduce the chances of criminal charges in the future. So in this way, his money and power helped him to avoid responsibility. In 2011, we see a new motion in federal court to throw out that plea deal he was given before. July 2019, Epstein is arrested on charges of child sex trafficking and conspiracy to commit sex trafficking. He pled not guilty, but he was denied bail, in part because the FBI had raided his Manhattan townhouse and found fake passports. They also found hundreds of photographs of his victims. On July 23, 2019, Epstein attempted suicide while in jail, and on August 10, 2019, he completed a suicide. Moving to the mental health and personality factors. So essentially, Epstein was a con man who used his ability to manipulate and exploit victims in a number of ways. Epstein had offended against at least 36 different females during his criminal career, the vast majority were underage. In addition to personality pathology that I'll talk about in a moment, I've had a lot of questions about pedophilic disorder in relation to Jeffrey Epstein. Did he have this disorder? And I think the confusion there is the maximum age of the victim in that disorder, the child, is 13. And clearly Epstein offended against several people who were 14 and older. So it's not really clear if he would technically qualify as having pedophilic disorder I think it's certainly a possibility. In terms of what paraphilia he had, a lot of people, of course, would just refer to what he did as pedophilia, although technically it is probably better classified as hebophilia. He had an interest in children, in his case specifically females, age 11 to 14. And one could also make an argument that he also had ephebophilia, which is an interest in children, in his case again specifically females, from age 15 to 19. So there are a few different technical terms here that could apply to Epstein's behavior. Now, moving over to personality pathology, we see that Epstein's behavior seems to align with both narcissistic and antisocial personality disorders. But here we see a high level of primary psychopathy as opposed to secondary psychopathy, sometimes called factor one psychopathy and factor two psychopathy. So this is a profile of an extremely dangerous offender. Somebody who has superficial charm, shallow affect, and a lack of empathy, but who is not necessarily impulsive or irresponsible outside of the criminal acts. Like in his day-to-day -day life, he wasn't necessarily emotionally reactive. Rather, he was cold and calculating. Also, he was highly intelligent. 
Like many primary psychopaths, he didn't start with his offending until he was in a situation where the risk was reduced. So for the most part, he waited until he had money and power that could protect him. Primary psychopaths make a calculation, risk versus reward, unlike secondary psychopaths. Now looking at narcissistic personality disorder, there is evidence supporting all nine of the symptoms, but two really stand out here. Fantasies of power and success and wealth. Not only did he have those fantasies, but he was able to realize many of them, and manipulation. He manipulated just about everybody he came in contact with. Victims, co-conspirators, employers, and that prosecutor who gave him an incredibly favorable plea deal. So what we really see here is a grandiose narcissist with communal qualities. Epstein donated millions of dollars to charity. Now, even though we're looking at grandiose narcissism, he wasn't particularly extroverted, but he did have low agreeableness and low neuroticism. So he's not the typical grandiose narcissist, but I think his behavior aligns with that construct better than something like vulnerable narcissism. Now, with the antisocial personality disorder, like many primary psychopaths, his behavior seemed to align with enough of the criteria for the disorder. For example, breaking the law, lying, and a lack of remorse, but not enough to represent a classic case. And there's a mystery around the presence of conduct disorder symptoms before the age of 15. That's required for antisocial personality disorder. I'm not aware of any evidence that he meets that criterion. Now, Epstein was arrogant in a way that made it seem like he really enjoyed getting away with crimes while letting other people know that he was getting away with them. He wanted others to know he had true power. He didn't have to hide from people or be afraid of people. Now, of course, he did hide certain activities, but in other ways we see he was actually fairly obvious, like keeping explicit photos on the wall of his Palm Beach mansion and bragging about how he had dirt on powerful people, suggesting that he would never be punished. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Some criminals get away with crimes because they convince people that they are nice, polite, and not the type of person who would commit a crime. Epstein did this initially. He did pretend to be a good and helpful person, but that wore off quickly. That's that superficial charm and shallow affect. He was really about dominating people. He wanted to control witnesses and victims, and to a large extent, he successfully did that. He made people around him dependent on his resources, like when he would pay to send his victims to school. Some people simply became conflicted about Epstein. They certainly didn't want to be victimized, 
but they also wanted what he could provide. He made a difficult choice. He offered something of value, in a sense, to keep victims quiet. Many of his employees were afraid to accuse him because he could make them suffer. So he, again, leveraged power over people in many different ways for a long time. The Epstein case highlights the dangers of allowing narcissists to gain power. His crimes were a full expression of his fantasies. This is what happens when a narcissist has no limits. What is a narcissist capable of if they have hundreds of millions of dollars? Epstein's case really answers that question. He perpetrated horrible crimes against scores of victims and would have offended more if he was not arrested. Another angle to consider in this case, I've talked many times about conspiracy theories on my channel and how the vast majority of them are not true. But in the case of Epstein, he illustrates one of those circumstances that can lead to a conspiracy that is maintained over a long period of time. One person with enough power who has access to people who are willing to become co-conspirators can perpetrate a large-scale criminal enterprise with immunity, again, at least for a period of time. Just like he knew how to target victims who were vulnerable, he knew how to effectively recruit and retain co-conspirators. He essentially built his own conspiracy from the ground up. So this isn't really about equals deciding to conspire. This is about one powerful person taking control of other people. And yes, many of those other people committed serious crimes, but they probably would not have done that without Epstein. He really brought it all together. He understood how the personalities work together, how to keep people quiet, how to keep people productive. So he really orchestrated this enterprise that could keep him safe. Now moving to the last question, was Epstein murdered? Now, this is highly controversial. One poll indicated that 45% of Americans believe Epstein was murdered. They believe he did not commit suicide. And this kind of points back to the idea that there was some type of conspiracy. So first, I'll look at the evidence for the murder theory and against it, and then I'll give my thoughts on this. So evidence that points toward the idea that he was murdered. Well, it's kind of an understatement to say that Epstein was an unpopular fellow. He committed heinous crimes, so he was in a bad spot in terms of remaining alive anywhere. To his powerful friends, he simply became a liability. Epstein was putting money in other inmates' commissary accounts when he was in jail to ensure that he was protected. Typically, only somebody who needed protection would pay for it, although one could argue that jail is a dangerous place no matter who somebody is. Epstein was removed from Suicide Watch when he should not have been. This really doesn't make any sense. Why did they take him away from that protocol, right? That points more toward something going on, like a homicide. Now, he was supposed to have a cellmate as part of being removed from that suicide watch. One was assigned, but that cellmate was released the night before Epstein's death, and a new cellmate was never assigned to him. So he was in the cell alone when he should not have been. We see unusual fractures in his neck. The famous forensic pathologist Michael Bodden, who was hired by Epstein's brother, said he never saw fractures like that in a suicidal hanging, although he added that he didn't have enough information to make a final conclusion. We see this missing video of Epstein's cell door. This is highly suspect. In a jail, one would think there's a priority with videos. That's really an important part of what they do. It keeps everybody safe, in a sense. So if a camera was not functioning correctly, wouldn't somebody notice that? Why did it just happen to be out that particular night? The two prison guards who were responsible for Epstein that night the night of August 9 into August 10, were charged with conspiracy to defraud the government and falsifying documents. Evidently, they were supposed to check on Epstein every half hour, 
Instead, they searched the internet and fell asleep. So neither one of them would have been a candidate for guard of the month at that particular jail. Why did Epstein use sheets to hang himself when wires and cords were available in his cell? Why did the guards take him to the emergency room when he was already dead and they knew he was dead? That was a crime scene. They violated protocol by moving his body. We also see there had been no suicides in that jail for the past 14 years. Epstein also had a number of reasons to stay alive. He was looking forward to appealing the finding on his bail hearing and was somewhat upbeat just before he died. I think it makes sense to believe that if he made bail, he could have found a way to skip bail and he would have been free. A lot of people make it seem like Epstein was destined to be sentenced to 45 years in prison, but there's a long way between being arrested for a crime and going to prison for 45 years, especially to somebody who has access to over half a billion dollars. He still had many opportunities to discredit and harass witnesses, to find procedural errors, to fabricate evidence like paying people to testify on his behalf. He was by no means out of options. There was a long road ahead of him. And I think with his narcissism and his grandiosity, he probably wanted to beat those charges. He was probably looking forward to somehow avoiding responsibility once again, and in doing so, re-victimizing the people he had victimized. Now, habit factors pointing towards suicide. Well, he attempted suicide in July, on July 23. So that's only about two and a half weeks from August 10. That's pretty close. He changed his will on August 8, just two days before his death. And in that will, he transferred all his assets to a trust. Several forensic pathologists have challenged Michael Bodden's opinion, saying that the fractured bones in Epstein's neck could have easily occurred as a result of hanging. It appears there was a video recording recovered of a gate that led into the tier where Epstein's cell was, and it's not public as far as I know, but people who have looked at it have said no one entered or exited that tier all night. So other than an inmate who was already on that tier, no one else would have access to Epstein. So what do I think about this in terms of murder or suicide, if I weigh all these factors together. Well, this is very difficult. Not all conspiracy theories are false. And I don't know if Epstein's murder would have required a massive conspiracy to pull off. It could have been just a few people involved. So I'm really about 50-50 between murder and suicide. But if I had to pick, so if there's a situation where somebody had an invisible flying time-traveling camera, right, that could go back into Epstein's cell and find out the truth, and the operator of that camera came back to me and said, look, we now know the truth, and if you guess it correctly, we'll give you a million dollars, right? What would I pick? I have to pick one or the other. I would probably pick suicide. I think he probably committed suicide as opposed to being murdered. A lot of coincidences have to be dismissed in order to believe he committed suicide, but that video recording showing that no one entered or exited that tier does seem convincing, if that is in fact what the video reveals. If it was the jail's mission to have Epstein's suicide look like a murder, which is a peculiar goal in this circumstance, they really did a good job of it, right? They did so many things that violated protocol and that didn't really make any sense at all, that they cast suspicion upon themselves. This should have been open and shut. It should have been very clear if he committed suicide or not. And they have left all kinds of room for speculation. Now, in one sense, one could combine the elements of both theories here, meaning that Epstein committed suicide, but the prison staff was so negligent that they essentially facilitated 
his death. They made it incredibly easy for a suicidal man to, in fact, commit suicide. So in a way, though, we could think about this as a conspiracy because perhaps they communicated that to Epstein. Perhaps they let him know that if he wanted to end his own life, nobody was going to be sad about that. And maybe that combined with the time he was facing and the humiliation he was facing, he just made the decision to end his life. It's hard to know. I know the investigation is continuing, and I really hope they find out what happened in that cell on the morning of August 10, 2019. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.